Well, we uh, are actually uh, in a section now that's going to be dealing with 11 chapters. We knocked out six chapters and then another six chapters. Now we're going to do uh, like 11 of them. It's dealing with the burdens that Isaiah has as far as judgments uh, against the Gentiles. And really, when you look at these 11 chapters, it's, it's evidence that God is at work in the nations. In, in the world and his purpose is coming about so this is all pre-written history it's, it's written before it happens and much of these prophecies you, you even you see it prof, uh, prophesied and then you see it actually happen or historically we know it happens or biblically we know that it happens and it'll show the, you know like here's where this was at so it's interesting uh, the Bible is the only um, uh, book of any religion that has prophecies and and they come true every time. Uh, any kind of other prophecies that are done by religions would be a, a matter of pure, uh, what can you say, I, I don't even believe in luck, but, um, you know, really uh, a hit and miss, and most of them are missed, like 99%, maybe 99.9%. They just happen to get lucky on some general prophecy. But God's prophecies are dis, you know, uh, distinct from anything else and precise. And, so, and, and He'll name names. He'll name countries and name details and, and the people that are involved in it, kings and uh, just certain areas of those nations. So it's kind of interesting how uh, we can say that the Bible is true uh, just for the fact of look at prophecy. It's incredible. It's all always on our side. Um, I think a good one to go to to kind of kick this off with is uh, the book of Daniel, another prophetic book. In Daniel chapter four, twenty-five. This is the interpretation, O King, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the King. And that's a a dream that is interpreted by Daniel, a vision that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had. The Most High, uh, he rules in the kingdom of men. And of course, you see what uh, what he does in there. And of course, he lays it out. And he he talks about the different all the kingdoms um, that would uh, be there. Of course, you can think of the time of the Assyrians, just before the Babylonians, and then the Medes and the Persians. They overtook them. And historically, this has all been proven. Then you have the Greek Empire with Alexander the Great. God prophesied that. And then you have the Roman, the Roman Empire, and God prophesied all that. And he laid it out, and he gave that uh, to Daniel, who gave it to Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, of course, at this time when he was living was the time of the Babylonian Empire. And so it kind of started with, with him. Um, but anyway, this is the, the Most High, and uh, he's in control of it all. And if you look at Acts 17.26, we see how controlled it is. He's the one that lays out the borders. He lays out the boundaries of the nations and sets them up and then takes them down. Uh, Paul is preaching in Athens and he's addressing mainly Gentile people here. And he says, 
this is the God that made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God. Perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. Um, there, you know, they had uh, the to the unknown God on uh, an altar, and he says, "This is the guy. This is the Creator God that I'm talking about. He's the one that created mankind, and He's the one that gives the appointed times for those nations. So they rise up, and then they deflate." And then God brings up another one. And then they deflate. And He brings up another one. And so He he, uh, brings that out. We see it in Isaiah in these chapters here. And uh, we just kind of take it for granted because that's just the way it is. And uh, yeah, God is in control. But you know, most people in the world don't believe that God is in all of these details like that. I mean, I think it's really incredible that all this historical things that we look at were actually written and told by Isaiah. But they were burdens. It's not like it's a joyous thing to go tell people that your land is going to be devastated, and not only that, but uh, your men, women, and children, they're, they're going to be ravished. And uh, people are going to die by the thousands and thousands and thousands. It wasn't a very um, enjoyable thing to tell. And that's why in 13 through 23, a key word is burdens. If we uh, look back in Isaiah now in chapter uh, 13, verse 1. The oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the Amoz, son of Amoz, saw, lift up a standard on the bare hill, raise your voice to them, wave the hand that they may enter the doors of the nobles. I have commanded my consecrated ones... I've even called my mighty warriors. Now, this is from other, other nations that he's going to judge his own people, that, but then again, then he's going to bring other nations to bring upon uh, a travesty on them that he used because of their pride. Uh, he says, My proudly exulting ones to execute my anger, a sound of tumult on the mountains like that of many people, a sound of the uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathered together, the Lord of hosts is mustering the army for battle. They are coming from a far country, from the farthest horizons. The Lord and His instruments of indignation destroy the whole land. And of course, <laughs> you know that's just the beginning of, of um, this section that uh, that we're dealing with, and it um, it's 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 all about judgment, uh, judgment constantly. In um, I have the word oracle, or you might have the word burden. I, I use the word oracle in the first verse there of chapter 13. Frida, you're shaking your head. What? You have burden, right? In my Bible, in New American Standard, says oracle, but uh, it, it's it's a burden. Uh, it, it's it's heavy. Burdens in, in the Hebrew mean to lift up. Uh, Isaiah is carrying this heavy weight. He's lifting this burden, and it's such a solemn message of judgment. He's denouncing everybody and destruction of cities and just He's thousands of about people. All these different town, these, these nations. Josh McDowell has an excellent book out by the evidence of the men's verdict. Mm. And uh, very, very good. It goes through all those prophecies and shows all the different fulfillments of them. Doesn't that give us 
something solid to stand on when somebody says, well, how do you know the Bible's true? You know, it has errors. All you have to do is start bringing out some of these prophecies. Of course, we've seen some of just the Messiah. And, um, I mean, they're very detailed. And boy, they will build up as we go along, but um, these nations are real. I, I mean, people can't deny it. And and they they were they raised up for a little while, didn't last long, and boom, another one came along. And God's doing it. There was a mathematician that did a a, a calculation as to the chances of these prophecies coming true that God has made. He said that if you filled Texas with silver dollars and then dropped a one silver dollar with a red X on it. And then drop the person down on the on Texas until only one chance to find that red that red silver dollar. <coughs> and and the, the, the chances of of these coming true every time. And that's is, just eight prophecies. That's just you know. And so it, it, he says, you know, this is God because God is one who orchestrates everything. <coughs> He's going to make sure it's going to take place. This that's is our phenomenal. God. That's phenomenal. Nobody can say you can. That's impossible. Yeah, but it happens all the time. And, and, and it's only possible through God, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, humanly, uh, to, to understand that, that, there's no way that could happen. But that's, this is our God. Why? I'm thankful for our God. <laughs> what a great God He is. Very true. Um, in 15, verse 1, the oracle or burden concerning Moab. So, this this section is divided up from one empire or country to another. Uh, and that's that we're going to see them go up and go down. God has uh, His plan and He works through it and He uh, brings His people through there. And, and even through these nations, we know that uh, He has a prophecy, I think, which we're leading up to. I think it's phenomenal. Assyria, Egypt, and Israel worshiping the one true God together. Now, can you imagine that? At last, one day, yeah. it will happen when everything that's happening in the Mideast with all the the war that's happened there, ever since the Bible times, it's there's never been peace there. You know, in, in some sense, I guess you could say, but they've always been at odds whenever the opportune time comes. And you can look at history, or we can especially look at the Bible and going through where we're at here. But there will be a time when the Arabs will become Christ or believers. The Jews will be believers. You know, so that's just a phenomenal thing, and um, that's where everything is really headed ultimately. As God moves about bringing in His His family. Um, in thirteen and fourteen, basically it's Babylon. And th- uh, that's that was a a powerful powerful empire. Um, one of the translations of Babel uh, is gateway to a god. We've also heard Babel means to you know Babel. Of course, that's where the languages came from. Um, and Babel can mean uh, confusion. It sounds like that Hebrew word. Anyway, Babylon really symbolizes the world system. It's a it's a it's a great picture of the system of man and how man defies God. Babylon defied God, and you can take two cities, Jerusalem and Babylon. And in those two cities, we see one that God 
has called to use, despite the fact that there has been sin in that city, but yet that has been uh, the chosen city of God. And yet Babylon is representing the wickedness of mankind. And, uh, of course, there's been books written uh, about that. Anyway, God is the one, as He's sovereign, He puts together an army. The army of unbelievers to come and accomplish His purposes. And so he summons them, and I, I use the word, uh, well, we'll see, uh, God uses the word mustering in verse 4. Uh, the Lord of hosts is mustering the army for battle. <laughs> Bring them together. And that, that um, there's going to be the Medes that he's going to muster up to come against Babylon. Babylon. And so he actually calls them, actually, he calls them even uh, his sanctified ones or ones that are set apart, consecrated ones. Right in verse 3, I have commanded my consecrated ones, my mighty warriors, ones he set apart to bring to um, judge his people. What chapter are you in? Uh, actually, I'm on chapter 13. 13 and 14, and I probably am just going to be hitting on certain... Um, certain verses, maybe certain words, because I've got 11 chapters. <laughs> wow. <laughs> really, what an attempt. <laughs> um, if, you, if you see some verses as you're kind of uh, going through there, uh, let us know, because there are some key verses all the way through here. But verse 11, this uh, he says... Um, Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I'll put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. kind of makes you uh, think also of, uh, what is it, Psalm 2, uh, where the nations rage yeah. and God laughs at them. Mm-hmm. You know, God's in total control. We look at the world today and we think what a mess it is, but um, God's bringing it to a culmination. He has been for years, hasn't he? But um, we can we can see the the details uh, just even right here. So Babylon was destroyed by the Assyrians first. The Assyrians are the big empire, and back in 689 BC, Babylon is defeated by the Assyrians. It was rebuilt. Now that was 689. They were. Um, Pretty powerful empire themselves, but the Assyrians beat them. They rebuild the city, and then I think it is in 530, no, around around 600 or so, we see them coming to Judah. God uses Babylon to not only defeat other nations, but but Judah, the, the southern tribes, two tribes there. And that was in 586 B.C. when you finally have that take about. So that is only a hundred years when that happens. So within, well within a hundred years, that city or that empire had been rebuilt and was ready to take over. That is very rapid. I have to think about uh, Japan. Isn't it amazing? You know, they were bombed back in World War II, think of the 40s, and 
they became a powerful nation very rapidly after that, didn't they? Technologically, and we know they came on top of the scene very quickly in, in much of the electronic world. And um, But it's, it's amazing how countries, sometimes they don't survive. But Babylon did there. They, um, they took people out of Jerusalem, brought them to Babylon. How long were they there? How long was Judah and Benjamin in, in uh, Babylon? 70. 70. 70. 70 years. And so whenever God drew them out of there, then they went back to their their own uh, country. And that was it for Babylon. In 539 B.C., <coughs> along came the Medes. So you've had the Syrians. Very shortly after that, you have the Babylonians. Then you have the Medes. Persians. And Mede captured the city, but didn't destroy Babylon. But then, as time went on, and after the time of Alexander the Great, the city just declined. And soon thereafter, it was really no more. It really didn't amount to anything. It just fizzled out. I think uh, Saddam Hussein tried to rebuild that city of Babylon. You might remember back in the 80s and in the 90s. And he had a wall around it and everything. And this was going to be the great Babylon again. But it really hasn't amounted to too much. I mean, it's a, it was a little city. And I guess there are uh, some people living there, but it didn't come out to be the what he thought it was going to be. He, he wanted to make it his city. He wanted to be Nebuchadnezzar. He actually thought he was Nebuchadnezzar. Risen again. Yes. <laughs> Back from the dead. Um, but they have not been anything themselves uh, as, a, as what they had been. So, Isaiah, then in chapter 14 then, starts warning Judah that they would be taken captive by Babylon. The ten tribes are long gone. They've been scattered. The Syrians got them. The Syrians then came down to Jerusalem, but could not destroy Jerusalem. They couldn't do anything. God kept that from happening. He reserved it. Judah stayed alive until Babylon comes, and then, um, of course, they conquer the city. Uh, but along comes Darius uh, of the Medes, and, and this is good news for the Jews because that would mean the end of the bondage. Jeremiah prophesied that it would be like 70 years. And so that, that wasn't like being deported and taken away and boom, that's it. God had, a, had, a, had His plan. And of course, the Messiah has to come through them. <laughs> so that's... The big part of the story. Now, in chapter 14, I think it's significant because you have, um, I think, what is a good picture of a mighty monarch, a mighty king here. And you've heard the passage in uh, Proverbs, pride goeth before the fall or before destruction. Well, same thing happens, and as we read along, this is definitely we can apply this to Belshazzar. 
And we know the story about the writing is on the wall. And of course, here come the Medes, right? And of course, they defeat him there that night. They captured Babylon in 539 uh, B.C. Um, interesting, in verse 11, start reading this, and you start seeing it. it's not only Nebuchadnezzar, but I think it could be a picture of expanding out even further of somebody else. Your pomp and the music of your harps have been brought down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you, and worms are your covering. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, look at this series of, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. And of course, you know, the, the, the kings and even Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the Most High God until uh, God taught him a lesson for seven years. <laughs> he was out eating grass like the cattle. But this could definitely be um, Belshazzar, but I think we have the picture here also of who? Lucifer. Lucifer. And of course, he's. That's um, that is in, uh, let's see, which verse? Um, Twelve. From in, o star of the morning. Lucifer, which Lucifer means light bearer. Right. And he was the light bearer, Lucifer. Uh, it was like he was the one leading the worship of God. And that's the reason why he's able to uh, cause a lot of confusion in the minds of youth today by music uh, drawing them away from from killing themselves and stuff like that oh yeah I wanted to mention quite an instrument Hezekiah was during this period of time when Babylon and if you remember of course you do is when Hezekiah was very sick and they they um, he, he, he turned his Face to the wall and says, Lord, don't let me die. And God said, I'll grant you another 10 years. I think it was 10 years. And and he showed, was it 10 years? 15 years, okay. And then he showed Babylon everything he had. He showed him the treasury. He showed him all things. And guess what? Here comes Babylon. That's what they have. That's worth taking. Yeah. And they did. Stupid. They yeah. took it all right back with them. And, and, and here's Daniel. And by the way, um, uh, Belshazzar was in there even using those, those utensils whenever true. the Medes came. What a backlash happened there. Right. Isn't that unique? Bart? Um, in my Bible, down in the notes, uh, when it says, O day star, son of dawn, it says that it's referring to the planet Venus. Okay. Uh, let's see. There's there's the morning star. And, of course, we know the morning star. That's Christ. Well, you have a morning star. How long does that morning star last? Not very long, is it? Now, now Christ is everlasting. In this case, I think that's one sense. Um, it, when, you see, when you see Venus... 
that is in a tendency to look like sometimes like a, a star. People can get confused with that, which actuality, it's a planet, isn't it? But there's light there. And I'm not so sure when you can see that the best, whether it's of the morning. Yeah, so we, we have different translations, but I think they're all kind of coming to the same thing, like Lucifer, which means light bearer. There we have light of the morning that, that leads out of the darkness in, into the light, and that's right, right. And of course, if you're looking for um, Belshazzar, he, he, you know, it's like, how long did his kingship last? It wasn't that long. Um, but I think you can really go to the fulfillment of what this is picturing and, and also realize that Satan is the one who is um, uh, an angel of light, right? I mean, he appears as that. But at one time, he was, I mean, he was he was known as Lucifer in the sense of, uh, you know, worshiping God. Yeah. What we were talking about earlier about God being in complete control in verse 24, 14 in the verses. But it says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, just as I have intended, so it has happened. And just as I have planted, so it will happen. I think that just kind of sums up everything, doesn't it? Amen. That's, that's it. And that's that's what happened. And, and you know, he, um, he takes note of those people who um, raise themselves up and uh, they are sitting on the throne. And we know that, um, of course, Lucifer, Satan, is quite the example of that. Matter of fact, we know that there was a fall from heaven. And uh, in Luke, yeah, Ezekiel, tw- or, uh, Ezekiel 28, I think, mm-hmm. has a graphic illustration. Uh, and in Luke. When Jesus said, what Jesus said. Yeah. What did Jesus say in Luke 10.18? Exactly. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Fall. Probably in the seeing in what is the seventh chapter of Revelation when he was kicked out of heaven. Right. Same thing again. Jesus was talking about. Exactly. Where's that at in Luke 1? 10.18. And, and, of course, if we want to look at a... This is a football score. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. That's how I always remembered that. Because Ezekiel 28, they're, they're in sevens, you know. So I, I have weird ways of trying to remember things. But uh, there he's talking about the king of Tyre. In verse 11... He had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. Now, it's interesting that he takes this and it goes much further than just the king of Tyre. The garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, the emeralds, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets. You would, you would, uh, you would find that fascinating, right? You, you like all the different colors. <laughs> I know Penny likes all the different stones, you know. It was in you. 
on that day you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you, by the abundance of your trade you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you. I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified. You will cease to be forever. So, uh, you know, we know he's talking about the king of Tyre. He mentions that, but we can see something there that even expands even further into the enemy. The, the beauty of the light must have been incredible. The spiritual being, because really angels really, unless they God puts them in a body, you know, to be used, to be seen, to be manifested, they're spiritual beings. And can you imagine that? That's dealing with light. And so it must have been incredible. So quite a turn, just just that fall what it did. But then the the, the good angels they still uh, they still have that same light bearing sense that they had. And somebody mentioned one time I don't know how true it is or not, but it talked about the uh, instruments that were built almost like musical instruments that were built into to, to him. If it's a, a appealing, that I don't I don't know I don't know that might be uh, stretching it or it might be something that's that's interesting. But can you imagine the music that would be uh, in heaven, um, yeah, it was. Um, where was it? Oh, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and your sockets was in you on that day you created. You know, there's God has always been a God of music, and uh, of course that plays a big part. Man has his music, God has his music, and He's the one that created it. So anyway, Satan had a big part to play in that, but uh, but he fell. And so God uses those, even in these prophetic passages, to show that we know where pride comes from and uh, comes straight from the enemy. The defeat of Satan. And uh, he wanted to usurp the throne of God and he wanted to be worshipped. And worshipped, he did not get. And it only goes to God, doesn't it? He wanted to be like the Most High. He was absolutely humiliated, defeated, Pride goes before destruction. And um, we're in 13 and 14 dealing with Babylon. There's a little bit in chapter 21, but it, it talks about the desert of the sea or kind of like a desert storm there. It's like the attack of the Assyrians against uh, Babylon. That was in 689. So we're kind of going back and forth with Babylon being the empire, but before that, the Assyrians. Assyrians we see quite a bit throughout uh, this area. We've already seen that happen in the first 12 chapters, haven't we? As Assyrians were going to come to the ten tribes and the, the two tribes. Assyria was stronger than Babylon at that time. but um, and, and what that meant, the northern kingdom then was taken also and devastated. 
in chapter 14 at the end of it from 24 through 27, not the end of it, but pretty close, you have Assyria. Just a few verses there. Uh, a key word there is dealing with purpose. Uh, that's, the, that's the theme or the idea. God has a purpose. And uh, He's in control of the rise and fall of the nations. Assyria is a tool. And uh, he, he says in verse uh, one of tw- or verse twenty four, the Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, just as I have intended, so it has happened. Right? Just as I have planned. Just as I have planned, so I'll stand. So that's uh, and he, he accomplishes what he's going to do. He uses Assyria at first to do that, and then he doesn't allow Assyria to capture Jerusalem. Only God could have kept that from happening. Why weren't they destroyed? Only one reason. God was not going to let it happen. Then in uh, fourteen twenty-eight through 32, we get a judgment on Philistia. You think of the Philistines. And uh, there, um, there's going to be an Assyrian leader, a rod, who will die. The Philistines rejoice because he's dead. The enemy's being weakened. Assyria's being weakened. But Isaiah comes along and warns them that the new king that they're going to have is even going to be worse. <laughs> Philistia was doomed and so they were but it's interesting God then gives an assurance a word of assurance for his own people Judah and he's, it's like he's saying even the poorest of the poor the ones who uh, didn't have anything uh, they will have food they will have safety uh, the Philistines would be wiped out but not God's remnant and so God would deliver Judah that's the real news it really wasn't so much Assyria con- on conquering Philistia. It was God will deliver Judah. And uh, there's really no reason why, humanly, they, should, they could have taken them easily. The next one is um, Moab, chapter 15. Moab is... Uh, anybody remember what Moab was famous for? Well, that's interesting. There we go. I didn't even think about that. That's right. We get quite a story there. Whenever they had the uh, the land was drying up, and of course you had you had that family going down into Moab, and, and of course the whole story of that. That's a beautiful story. There's there's a, a bad note that comes out of Moab. Most of the time it uh, is it's all bad. The Moabites were products of Lot's incestuous relationship with his daughter. And uh, they were enemies of the Jews from there on out. Every, every descendant of, of, uh, of Israel had any kind of relationship to them. That's always been out of Israel. Ishmael, Esau, no matter what, always an enemy. That's that is interesting, isn't it? Look at the um, yeah, he put quite a quite a curse on him in uh, Deuteronomy twenty three three in the law. He said, "No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord." Boy, would the tenth generation be forever? What's that? I think as a whole, he's they're he's just going to kind of blow them out. Yeah, 
within three years um, what he was going to do with him that that prophecy was fulfilled uh, Moab had had some pleas Assyria is going to come and just blow them away and they know that um, there was a fugitive that was sent and he appealed to the king of Judah to give him asylum you know keep you know, keep us, you know, in, in your prayers, maybe even. Not really. Um, they wouldn't acknowledge the God of Judah. If they would acknowledge the God of Judah, then that would have happened. But that's why God took it so seriously against them. Moab begged the leaders of Judah to have refuge from the enemy there in, uh, in, uh, in Judah. They wanted Judah's help. The only problem is they didn't want God's help. They just wanted it from Judah. They weren't calling on the true God. I think any nation that believes in a fish God is kind of slippery. <laughs> kind of slippery, <laughs> slimy. Yeah. Um, even right in that text, and of course we're in, we're in 15, there's a messianic prophecy, prophecy and it deals with him reigning in righteousness and mercy on David's throne. But Moab was not going to submit. No matter what, here they are. You know, they're crying out for Judas, but they really don't need God. They don't. They don't want God. They don't want to submit uh, to that. You know, and they're a tiny nation, and you'll see that they have pride. They didn't have anything to boast about. Compare them to Babylon. You know, if anybody had a right to brag, of course we know what happens when they brag. <laughs> nobody does. But here's this little nobody, uh, Moab, and their pride keeps them from submitting to Judah. This led to their defeat, and they're like a vineyard that is just trampled down. That's Moab. Um, in 17, you have Damascus, which is representing what nation? Syria. And Assyria. And Ephraim, which is really the ten tribes, Israel. And he gives a warning to Damascus in, in chapter 17 and the Assyrians conquered in 732. The Syrians deported the citizens. And what, their uh, whole plan was to get the people and get them out of their home country and spread them out all over the, their empire, their world, and uh, to get rid of them. And that's where most of the ten tribes, uh, if they weren't killed, they were spread out away from their homeland. And uh, that's what they did, just deport them. Well, um, that was 732 when that happened to Israel. Uh, Israel realized their idols couldn't serve them anymore, so they tried to come back to the Lord. It's too late. He had kept offering himself, right? So in 722 is when Assyria actually conquered Israel. They were no more. That was it. Those ten tribes. So, you know, God is controlling the armies, isn't He? Even against that Israel that we know so well. In chapter 18, you have Ethiopia. We're going all the way down into Africa there. We're going all over the place here, aren't we? Um, there's a prophecy there. Um, uh, yeah, uh, the oracle concerning Damascus. Behold, uh, uh, wait, wait I, I did Damascus. Um, Ethiopia is in uh, 18. Oh, I thought it was 18. Alas, O land of whirring wings, 
which lies beyond the rivers of Cush, which is you know, in, in that area, which sends envoys by the sea, even in papyrus vessels on the surface of the waters, that whirring could be the, the, the boats that they had, possibly. They were, they were known for that. Um, they had a, quite an armada of ships. Ethiopia did at that time. And, um, of course, God brings His uh, message against them. And they were really trying to pull off some kind of diplomacy. All these nations are scared to death. Like when Assyria is coming along and everybody's trying to get alliances up with other nations and to fight against Assyria where they would have a chance. And, uh, of course, it, it didn't work for the ten tribes. It didn't work for any of the other nations. God just kept bringing them on. And, uh, of course, there, uh, Ethiopia, uh, Ethiopia is judged. You have Egypt in chapter 19 and into 20. And um, God's going to judge Egypt. So we have uh, the Arab lands and we have the uh, Ethiopia, uh, Africa. Egypt is right at the, the top of Africa there. Um, you have enemies here. Uh, Egypt, Israel, and Assyria. And yet at the same time, we find out by the end of this section God is going to unite them together someday so that they will all be worshiping the one true God. Um, matter of fact, in 19, he has a, a, a message to Egypt. He says, the, he mentions the Nile and it's going to be um, driven away from them in a sense that the rivers are just going to parch up. I guess it dried up, and he, you know, the land dries up if they don't have that that Nile River. Everything was based off of that. So uh, whatever a nation prides itself in, God can just take it away. And of course, they had their all their idolatry. A lot of religions uh, came out of Egypt, and um, ISIS. You ever heard of that god, Horeb, and Seth? All of those were gods of Egypt. They had their mediums. They had their spiritists. And of course, when Moses went there, we know about what happened there with, uh, uh, you know, they had the magicians, right? Egypt was supposed to be such a powerful uh, nation. And um, he says that uh, it will be called the city of destruction. But in verse 23, here's where the hope comes out. He's talking about a day when he's going to bring healing. And that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrians will come into Egypt and the Egyptians into Assyria. And the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third party with Egypt and Assyria. Now that would have been amazing back then. Today, that would really truly be amazing, wouldn't it? A blessing in the midst of the earth. And if you take all the nations in the world and you put them together, right there in the midst, they say as far as the land masses are concerned, if you put them together, Israel is right in the middle of it all. Jerusalem is in the middle of the world. And here, you know, the whole Middle East, that's, that's really dealing with the, you know, that whole area. Whom the Lord has blessed, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people. And, Assyria, and we remember what happened to Egypt and what God did with them as He brought His people out of them with Moses and how they were a stubborn, prideful people for all those years and still are. 
But yet here he says, Egypt, my people, and Assyria, I guess, same thing, my people, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Only God could do that. What a plan. That's, that's where it's going to culminate. That's where it's, it's heading. Uh, look at verse 21. Thus the Lord will make Himself known to Egypt. He will make Himself known to Egypt. And the Egyptians will know the Lord, Yahweh, in that day. They'll even worship with sacrifice and offering and will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. The Lord will strike Egypt, striking but healing. So they will return to the Lord and He will respond to them and will heal them. That's where that highway comes in that we just read. That's amazing. United. <laughs> God will bring His people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, won't He? That was in, at the end of chapter 19. Um, you can... Um, I was in verse 23, I'm sorry. Chapter nineteen twenty three. I'm I'm all over the place. Um, actually, you can see it in nineteen. He starts with that, but he's going to make them. That. By the way, in verse verse twenty, it will become a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, for they will cry to the Lord because of oppressors, and He will send them a savior and a champion, and He will deliver them. Egypt has always been an enemy to Israel. This will happen. God will save Egypt. Egypt will, will fear God, worship through God. You'll have vast numbers of Muslims coming to Christ. Because when you think of Egypt, most of their religion is what? Muslim. When you think of uh, Assyria, which is really what? Uh, uh, Iraq and Iran area and then Syria. That's all Muslim area, basically. And, uh, of course, he's doing it now. Are we talking about the millennium? Talking about uh, all the way on into eternity. Yeah. He's going to bring them together. All the way. And we're... Um, hey. There would be... There would peace be in the Middle East. ...that are brought into the millennium that are believers. But they will... They will produce children. And... And out of those children, some will believe and some will not. And that's where you get your host of people that Satan gathers at the end of the millennium to come against God in Jerusalem. Right, they will, and they will be told. Matter of fact, in uh, Zechariah, it says they are to come up to the temple to worship God. Yeah. Um, In chapter um, 14, and I think he, yeah, he mentions Egypt right here. Uh, as Christ comes back, and the, the context is when he comes back to the Mount of Olives, and he'll be king over the earth in that day. By the time we get to 16, they'll come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year those nations that were against them, there's going to be people out of there that become believers. They'll go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. 
and will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship, the families of the earth, that's over the whole earth, all the nations, tribes, tongues, if they don't go up to worship Jerusalem, uh, uh, God at, at Jerusalem, the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. So there's a, he, he will not bless them if they don't worship Him there. So there will be people that will not um, be obedient. It, here we go. Here's the, here's the Egypt that I was looking for. If the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And that's always been uh, something that was uh, the Jews did. And um, here we have Egypt. We have other nations involved. He says this will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And so there you have uh, all these, a lot of these nations that we've been talking about when there will come a time when they will go to worship God. and But we see that that is a time of where there can be people that disobey. They don't go up. God doesn't give them the blessing. So that can't be the eternal state. It's a time period that's after Christ has come back. So um, that's something that I think is, is fascinating. And of course, he's, he's talking about Egypt there. Uh, as he's talking about Egypt here and Assyria. Astounding things when you when you think about that's going to happen in the future. And as we look back at all these, look at these prophecies that most of those were fulfilled at that time, yet there are some that will still e- expand on to it. Well, you know what? We're pretty well near the end here of this section. I think it's amazing. Peace in the Middle East. When can that happen? <laughs> right now, it doesn't look like it's possible at all. But it will. It doesn't seem like it's ever been possible. How about Edom? Well, what about Edom? Well, who are they the descendants of? Esau. When you think of Esau, what color do you think of? <laughs> yeah. I know it's red, but I like I like these black. <laughs> the black sheep. Black sheep of the family. Uh, he uh, Edom actually was uh, it was a it's a red sandstone area, and it's kind of kind of bleak. Um, but the people of Edom were bitterly hostile to the Jews. So we run into Moab. You know the connections there. Now the connections here to Esau. And, uh, of course, the Syrians came and judged them. That goes back to that time. And they brought darkness to Edom. Um, so we we know um, when we think of Edom, we also have to think of the Herods because the Herods were from the family of the Idumeans. And the Idumeans actually were renamed that. When the Persians came along um, and they took over Babylon, and, and of course, um, they were the ruling empire, they changed the name of Edom to Idumea. And, of course, um, that's by the time that Christ uh, comes uh, on the scene. You have uh, Herod, Herod the Great. You have the battle between Esau and Jacob. It was carried on by the, the Herods. Uh, they were Idumeans, and, of course, they, they were considered to be like half-Jews. But they went along with the system and not with what the, the Jews wanted. The Jews really didn't even really care for the Herods that much. 
But after 70 A.D., the Idumeans were pretty much history too as they were fading off the scene. <laughs> so there goes uh, Edom. Arabia is mentioned. You can think of uh, the caravans. You think of Arabia, caravans, the merchants, the trade routes that they had. They, they would hide in the thickets. They would be on the trade routes and they would start hiding because they couldn't do their trading as they did before because the enemy can overtake us. And so they had to flee and their animals had, had to... They would not compete with the mighty horses of the Assyrians that would be coming. So they kind of lost their trade routes that they had and, and uh, their caravans were kind of lowered down to nothing. And then Judah and Jerusalem is found in 22, 1 through 5, shows that Judah behaved like the Gentile neighbors. They're not any better, seems like for the most part, than the uh, the ten tribes. There are two things wrong with them. Two kinds of sins. First, unbelief. Unbelief of the people. They, they just didn't trust the Lord. They did not trust Him. And... Uh, no matter whenever he would tell them that he would take care of them, they still had no trust in him. Phoenicia. Phoenicia is uh, found in 23. They're trading people. We think of the ships. We think of the Mediterranean coast. We think of Sire, uh, Tyre and Sidon. Or Sidon. Uh, they were key cities. And uh, these cities just had great industry and, and shipping. And it was devastated. Tyre and Sidon. Nebuchadnezzar would conquer the island or uh, the, the city of Tyre. It's kind of funny how that went out, um, and I think we get uh, a lot of that story in Ezekiel. It, it's interesting how, like one nation would come along and it pushed them off, and it says your uh, place would be bald. It'd be like a, a, a knob where the fishermen would come and put their nets. It was a great city at one time. And it was like they'd all be wiped out. And that was a place where the fishermen were just coming and that's, uh, they lay out their nets there. Uh, not a city anymore. It was just kind of to be totally conquered, devastated. And then along came, I think, Alexander the Great. Right, used the debris to get to... Uh... Yeah, yeah, all the debris that had been out all over that city. Now it was that knob. And the people had gone out to the island. And nobody could get to them there. But Alexander the Great then got wise and took all the rocks all the way out there. I don't know how far it was out, a half mile or a mile, something like that, and built a bridge to that island where they finally conquered them. And all that is in Scripture, mm-hmm. for the most part in Ezekiel. And it uh, tells that down to the very detailed points that it would happen. It was done by different people. But to this day, I think you can go in that area and see the fishermen lay out their nets <laughs> as they did. So, quite fascinating. Um, what kind of lessons can we get out of this? I think number one, God's in control. God's in control of all the nations in the world. Not just a few, but all of them. These are several right here that we looked at. Eleven of them that we looked at, I think. Um, he's going to do what he pleases. He's going to do what he purposes. You know, I, I find it interesting too in that uh, 
we're living in an age now that the biblical, the biblical concept of prophecy hasn't isn't including America and not including um, the nations like what's taking place today. But I, I, I found a verse in, in Revelation that I had wondered whether it was it was America um, that was found in 1214 of Revelation. It says, And the two wings of a great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. And I knew that, of course you know, our national bird is the eagle. And I wondered if that possibly may be the United States. Well, we know that there. We, we nobody can say anything for sure on that, but no, it's, it's interesting. Sure why? Because you know ha, what happens to us as being as great as we have been, as great as we and have not been. mentioned but as I a nation. If that our nation really, but it could be that had come back to the place of repentance before God and got their their act together. But you never know. You know, it's just speculation. That's, that's speculation on my part. But it's just uh, I just. I just thought it was interesting. Well, I think, and in, in one thing, it's it's interesting to put ourselves, even though our, our country isn't mentioned, but yet it's played a key role in a very short time, well, over 200 years, and how it's come. And we know that God had everything to do with how this nation started. And there were a lot of near miracles or miracles that did happen with George Washington and such, and how they should have, how did they ever defeat the great British army? And they really were not united at first to be able to take them on, but God in His providence. And yet, at the same time, now we look at ourselves now and we're crumbling morally. Can't deny that. We have been doing it, but it's even worse and more rapid than ever before. Our nation is opposing Israel. That's horrifying. That's horrifying. That's not in our heart to do that. Yeah. I mean, that's our whole thing. You talk about the prophecy, and I think of nothing else. It would have been because the United States has supported Israel all the time. So the other enemies did not come in and do what they did because they were concerned who their allies were at that point. Like you say, not this particular time of late, you don't support them anymore. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse you those who curse you. And uh, England uh, had supported them, and all of a sudden they dropped the ball. Um, and they really went downhill um, where they had been quite, uh, I guess you can say, an empire in a sense all over the world. Um, Spain, uh, they've been different European countries and a lot of those countries fell down. But, uh, you know, God hates the sin of pride. I think that lesson is involved there. Um, God judges the nations for the way they treat each other. Because, yeah, he uses a nation to de- defeat his own people, to conquer them. But at the same time, the way that they do it, it's so prideful. And the, the way that they treat them, we can see that God will have to judge them. And we can always see every time you look at some of these judgments, we still go back and we see a word of promise that God has. And it's always hope to his people. Now, what would happen if we don't see any of those statements and he just obliterates all the nations and they're all gone? Doesn't even give them a second chance, third chance, fourth chance. <laughs> what could we say? We're right there, right with all these other nations, well, aren't we? If that would be, what can you say? That's what God so chooses. Yeah. 
Some he obliterates and you never hear of them again. Then others he keeps going. I guess the answer, why did he choose Israel? Because they were great. And so he so. Evidently there's going to be a, 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 a people of Egypt. There's going to be people that come from Assyria. Not that it's going to matter when we all come together, but at the same time, he uses those nations. That, that was his plan, his purpose. And to give them the boundaries that they had. There was, a, there was a purpose for all that. So there's nothing wrong with the nations, tribes, and tongues. Uh, and, and, and really, we all come from the same. You know, when, when you think about it, we all come from Adam and Eve. <laughs> and they're, you know, but God divided them up for a reason. You know, the, the nations may rage and they may plot against God, but he who sits in the heavens laughs. We have nothing to fear. We are on his side. Well, when you hear all the rumbling that's going on, uh, Russia's getting fired up again, and you know what? Um, you think of um, uh, Korea, North Korea. We hear about all of the uh, bold statements that they have made, and then of course we hear of all the things that the uh, Muslims would love to do with this nation. And of course, all the threats. Uh, I'm I'm amazed that we've been able to go as long as we have without too much rustle. But we hear it. We hear it about all the time, the things that could happen. But we as Christians can take note that God has a plan for His people. And so none of this, all the things that happen in our lives, and all that happened in the Old Testament time period, that's the same God. Same God. And He's still doing it. Thank the Lord we know the sovereign God. Thank the Lord He knows us. That's right. And that's why He's changing us too, isn't He? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your truth. Thank You for prophecy that we see so many of these prophecies that we read tonight were already answered in a very short time. From any time of, of uh, three, maybe three years to five, ten, a decade, maybe uh, within a hundred years, two hundred years, but yet we can see that they weren't just somebody just breathing out words, saying words, and none of it coming true, but all of it comes true. And you're that God. You're the God that still speaks. You speak to us through your Word, your Holy Spirit. And may this give us a sense of boldness instead of having any kind of fear as we hear all the things that could happen, but we have nothing to fear. And help us realize that always. In Jesus' name, amen.